you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith the size as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. everybody. Welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. Who's excited to be at church today? All right. I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, I just want to quickly say right off the bat, happy Father's Day, right? So hey, if you're a father here, let me just see your hand, right? Just wave it around like this. All right. Let's just do an air high five together. Ready? One, two, three. Way to go. Way to go. Even out in North Platte, right? Just all right. There we go. All right, awesome. Hey, listen, man, I am, uh, I am like, excited to be here today for some reason. I'm just like, I'm normally excited to be here, but I'm overly excited to be here. Um, and so one of the things I want to say to fathers is this. Uh, fathers, listen, um, as long as you're a father, you're always a father, meaning you always have influence. And so wield that influence in a way that's going to make a difference for the next generations. All right? Use it in a way that's going to inspire the next generation to seek after God, to know God, to want to know more about God, to give their life to God, and you model it. So the more passionate you are for Jesus, the more likely the next generations are to be, right? The more that you train them up in the way that they should go, the more likely it is that they will follow in those footsteps. So just know this, fathers, you leave big footsteps, Big footsteps, and the next generation will want to walk in them if you'll live a godly life. And so I just want to encourage you to do that, and we want to use every resource we have here at New Life to help you become that kind of spiritual influence in your house. And uh, this teaching series that we're doing right now is definitely one that can help you have that kind of influence. It's called Unstoppable, and the whole premise of it was in that introduction video. It's all built around the premise that, you know, nothing is impossible with God, but all things are possible when God is at work among us. And so that just means that there's nothing else in this universe that even comes close to equaling the power of God. In fact, everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we see comes from the unstoppable power of God. Come on, everybody. Give it up for Chris Puccini. Thanks. I had to have my analog Bible today. Um, I, I do have my digital Bible, which, you know, a lot of them. But talking about Bibles, listen, if you... If you don't use the YouVersion app on your Bible, on your smartphone, whether it's your Android or your Apple device, I would highly encourage you to download that Bible program. It's called YouVersion. When you download it, the Bible looks like, a, it looks like an old school Bible. Um, but right there, we have our notes. Like today's notes are on that app right now. And you can find them. You can get like, I don't know, 40 different English versions of the Bible on you version. So um, go to your app store right now. Use the Wi-Fi that's in all of our facilities. 
um, right now, because we're in one church, multiple locations right now, use the Wi-Fi New Life um, and get that app if you want it. And I think it's going to be really beneficial for your, for your spiritual growth. One of the things as a pastor that I love is I'm friends with a number of people that have that app in our church. And every time they read the Bible and they say, yeah, let my friends see it. Man, I get a little post that says so-and-so is reading their Bible or so-and-so highlighted the scripture or, you know, this person just started a brand new Bible reading plan or this person just finished the Bible reading plan. It's so encouraging as a pastor to see a congregation of people like you that are actually reading God's word. I actually applaud you. I think you guys are amazing. Those of you that are on version, I know that's just a sampling of our church, but um, use that and uh, let's see what God can do. Hey, in this teaching series, uh, we're going to continue to look at passages in the Bible that display the unstoppable power of God, where God God's power was put on display and nothing was able to stop him. And we want to do that because we want you to be encouraged today to know that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you need to know that the unstoppable power of God is at work for you. So we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. Um, Have you guys ever gone rock climbing though? Anybody ever gone rock climbing? Any, anybody? You went rock climbing? Okay. So you put the harness on, right? You got the, you got the rope, and um, you, you, climb, you got it hooked on to, you know, um, you know some, some fastener that's up there, right? And then you got somebody down on the ground, and they're belaying you. And I remember the very first time I ever went rock climbing, and I'm trying to climb up the rock, and I'm grabbing these little holds, and I've got this rope, you know, and it's going up. And it's coming back down to this person that's on the ground. And the person on the ground, because it's my first time, I, I didn't even know who they were. Like, we, we just went to this rock climbing kind of, like, class this day. And this instructor teamed us up together. And I've got this complete stranger who's belaying me. Meaning they're the one on the ground. And they've got the rope. And they, they kind of let rope out as I need it. Or they take rope in so that if I lose my grip and I fall, I don't fall all the way to the ground and kill myself. Right? So now you just put your life in the hands of a complete stranger. How smart is that? Okay, you can leave that right there where it is. So I'm, I'm climbing up the wall, and I get to the top, right? I'm at this rock climbing gym. It was in Alaska. It was awesome. So I'm way up there. It feels like you are way up there, right? And I'm hanging on. I'm at the very top, and I can just feel like the death grip in my hands. Like my fingers stayed like this permanently for like the next 10 minutes after I got down from there. And I'm hanging on, and then the instructor goes, okay, now, now you want to let go. Just push away from the wall and let go. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, these thoughts run through my mind. Like, I look down at the guy who is belaying me, and I wonder to myself, is he heavier than me? Because, <laughs> because I'm thinking, like, if I let go, do I just pull him up off the ground? Is this going to be like a bad cartoon? How, how, does the, how does, you know, math work in this situation? Um, you know, I, I looked around and I thought, is he stronger than me, right? Can he maybe just you know, muscle it like that, right? I, I, looked at, uh, I looked up at the rope and I went, I hope this rope is strong enough to hold me. I hope this, you know, carabiner it's running through is strong enough to hold me. I looked down at my, at my harness and I was just like, is this harness on right? Because I'm getting ready to put my life in someone else's hands. And evidently I waited too long for that moment to happen. And the instructor was like, come on, just push off the wall and let go. A little more forceful, right? And so I do this. I push off the wall, 
And I start, I start to fall, and then my legs hit the wall again, and I start to fall, and my legs hit the wall. My feet do. They, they push off the wall, and, they put, and I just kind of rappel down, and I get down to the bottom, and I'm standing down on the ground again, and I'm like, man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Let's climb the wall again, because it was really more about the free ride down than the pain of climbing the wall up. And that ride down just became so much fun, but I had to eventually, I had to put my complete wholehearted trust into the hands of that other gentleman who was belaying me right there. And that's faith. Faith requires us to step out of our comfort zone and to trust in our unstoppable God. And if you do, then you experience joy and growth and excitement. And if you don't, then you just miss out. And there's so many Christians today that they believe in God. They put a faith in God through Christ, but now exercising that faith in their everyday life, you're just missing out. You're missing out on some of the best that God has to offer for us. And this is what the apostle Peter, he discovered this one day when he decided to step out of the boat one night at 3 a.m. in the morning and walk on water with Jesus. He experienced what I'm talking about where he finally said, okay, I'm going, if you really are who you say you are, then call to me. And he steps out of the boat and he starts to experience faith at a level of which he had never before. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk today about Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Now, before we read this passage, one of the things that you need to know is that Right before this happens is where the 5,000 are fed. So if you are somebody that's at all familiar with, uh, at all familiar with the Bible, then that's kind of where we're picking it up. If you're not familiar with the Bible, then one of the miracles that Jesus performed before this miracle was a group of people, 5,000 men plus women and children, were there listening to him teach. They were all the way on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And they, they, they were there. There was no shops. There were no stores. There was no market. And they were hungry. And Jesus multiplied these couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, enough to feed probably over 10,000 people or more um, that day. It was a great miracle that took place. You can find it in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament. Right after that moment is where Jesus finds himself walking on the water. And let's, let's read this passage so we can look at and see the unstoppable power of God together. Okay, are you with me? It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. You'll be able to follow with me on the screen. It says, immediately after this, so immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. That's all those individuals, right? After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land uh, for for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Um, In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter, he went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. That's amazing. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. He said, save me, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out and he grabbed him. You have... 
You have so little faith, Jesus says. Why did you doubt me? When, you cli- when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God. You really are the Son of God. Just, just a few highlights. First off, did you notice there that Jesus in- insisted when he sent them? Meaning that he gave them a command. Why would he give them a command that they've got to get into the boat and leave me here and I'm stuck over here? Why would he command them to do that? And the real reason why he commanded them to do that was because this group of 5,000 plus the women and the children, so this 10 to 12,000 group of people, they were so excited about Jesus, but they were excited about him for the wrong reasons. They really wanted Jesus to become the earthly king their earthly king, their earthly leader. They didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, the sent one, the savior to come and save mankind from his sins. They saw Jesus as just a powerful, great leader who knew how to speak and he knew how to project himself and knew how to carry himself. And they really forcefully wanted to walk back around the lake to the west side and declare Jesus to be their king right now on earth. And Jesus knew his disciples as well. These guys weren't all clued into who Jesus was at this this particular moment. In fact, they were very susceptible to thinking Jesus was going to be their earthly king. And Jesus was noticing this volatile situation that was brewing. And he's like, I'm sending all the people home. Disciples, get in your boat. You guys leave too, because you guys are going to cause me trouble if I let you stay with the people. You, You guys might be talking too much and something will happen. And then Jesus went up into the hills to pray. And I just think that's a great, that's a great challenge for leaders. If you're a leader in this place, no matter what type of leadership that you you project, which most of you, if not all of you, are a leader in some capacity in one way or the other, it's so easy for people's opinions and for other people to dictate to us who we're going to be. We have to know without a shadow of a doubt, we have a calling, we've got a purpose, we've got to follow it out, or otherwise the people will lead you astray. And Jesus, he modeled for us very clearly. He had a purpose and an agenda, and he wasn't going to let the people dictate how it got spelled out. He wasn't coming to be an earthly king. He has a kingdom already. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega. He's always been. Jesus was the creator of everything that we see, and he'll be there at the end, at the judgment seat as well. And so Jesus knew he's already a king. He's not coming to this earth to be a king. I think that's just a powerful thing. He insisted them. He ordered them to go. Some, these are things we've got to hang on to in our message today. The, the other thing that is pretty obvious is that the disciples were caught in a bad storm. This wasn't just a normal storm. This was a bad storm. And it literally says, because this, this, um, this story is actually in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, it's in three of the four. And then when you put all three together, you get a really complex understanding of the story. That the disciples were traveling from the east, heading to the west, and it says that they were fighting a headwind fighting a headwind on the Sea of Galilee. I've been to the Sea of Galilee a couple of times in my life. It's 13 miles from the north to the south, and at its widest point, eight, eight miles, at its widest point, right? Now, so let's just say that they were not crossing at the widest point, so let's just put it somewhere maybe that they were crossing at a five-mile point or at a six-mile point because the Bible helps us understand that these guys are caught in the middle of the lake, so they're about two and a half to three miles into the journey, stuck in the middle, and they need to finish the journey, but they're fighting this brutal headwind. Why would they fight a brutal headwind? This might be more than maybe you want to know. But here's the Mediterranean Sea um, over here to the west. Here is the Sea of Galilee, right? 
And between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, there's a massive change in elevation. It goes from zero uh, feet elevation at sea level down to the Sea of Galilee, which is a negative 709 feet. The only deeper spot on earth than the Sea of Galilee sits south of the Sea of Galilee, which is called the, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is deeper than the Sea of Galilee. And what happens is that the winds, they come off the ocean, and they don't go over. There's actually openings where the wind cuts straight through, straight through, and it drops down heavy onto that lake. Back in 1992, they actually recorded on the Sea of Galilee waves that were cresting at 10 feet tall. Now, even in today's modern boats, you don't want to be stuck out on a lake with waves that are cresting at 10 feet tall. So what were the waves like this night? Let's just say that the waves weren't 10 feet tall. It wasn't the worst of the worst storm. Let's cut it in half. Let's say the waves were crashing in at five feet. Or what about five to six feet? So at any one of our heights, that's how tall the waves were. And now picture with me, in the midst of that, Jesus walking on the water. Because I think for most of us, when we've got this image of Jesus walking on the water, it's smooth. Like, it's just smooth. And here's Jesus, and he's just coasting along on the water. Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing a little, doing a little backtracking. <laughs> Jesus was the very first one to do that. Michael Jackson thought he had something, but he got nothing. <laughs> you have to be kind of old to get that joke, so I apologize. <laughs> it was first called lake walking, not moonwalking, just so that everybody knows. Um, all right, that was a really bad joke. Jesus is walking on the water with waves that are somewhere around five feet tall. How, how do you do that? Do you, do you, just, you walk from crest and you jump from crest to crest? Is that, is that what you do? You walk down and then back up and then down and back up and down and back up. Is that, is that what it looks like? What does that actually look like to be walking on five feet, foot cresting waves that are happening in the middle of this water that are just up, swirling up and back down and up and back down and crashing onto a beach? I mean, come on, what does that look like? You know, how intense really is that? That's what Jesus is walking on, and that's really the first display of his unstoppable power. At 3 o'clock in the morning, he comes walking by. What a great practical joke to play on your disciples, huh? Three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's awesome. They're freaking out. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. You know, they laughed about that one later on, right? They kept talking about that one. So here's Jesus. He's walking on this intense water. And then all of a sudden, Peter says, hey, if it really is you, Jesus, then call to me and I will come to you. And that's exactly what happened. And sure enough, Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. Everybody says this so this dogmatic statement. Well, Peter sank. Yeah, but Peter walked on the water, people. Sure, he sank. You would probably sink too. And you might sink faster than he did. Right? Because when you're looking at five-foot waves and things are cresting all over the place and, you know, water's flashing everywhere, man, it's easy to get your attention off of Jesus. I got it. I've got compassion for him. I don't even have to be in five-foot swells and my eyes can get off Jesus like that. You and me know that. So I'm just excited about the fact that somebody got out of the boat and started walking on the water. And when he began to sink, Jesus reaches out and grabs him. And he pulls him back up. Not out of, not out of muscle strength, but out of spiritual strength. He reaches and he grabs him as he touches him. All of a sudden, this heavy beast of a man, Peter, rises back up. And he's standing on top of the water again. 
a second display of the unstoppable power of God. And then once that's all happened, the disciples are like, hey, okay, guys, come on back into the boat, right? You're, you're freaking me out. And they climb back up into the boat. As soon as they arrive in the boat, boom, the storm stops. The five-foot swells go to, it's all calm instantaneously. One of the versions recorded says that they immediately showed up on the shore. The miracle of the unstoppable power of God on display for us to see again. So what is it that we really need to grasp from this story? Here's what we need to grasp. That obedience to God doesn't keep us from the storms of life. That's one of the things you, you got to wrap your head around. That obedience to God doesn't mean that you're going to be saved from the storms of life. The unstoppable power of God is not just there to protect you from all harm that is on this earth. We live on a sinful planet. Bad things are going to happen to good people. Good things are going to happen to bad people. Jesus commanded them. Remember? He insisted. means he ordered them to go to the other side. They're obeying Jesus along the way. What did they do to deserve the storm? Absolutely nothing. But the storm came and it was an opportunity for God to display his unstoppable power. And you need to know today, storms are going to hit you. Storms are going to come your way. Jesus said this in John, John chapter 16, he goes, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart or have peace in your heart because I have overcome the world. That's who, that's who Jesus is. And for you and me, when we're going through the storms of our life, we need to hang on to these kinds of words. Hang on to the words that Jesus has actually overcome it, that you and me can have peace even in the middle of a storm. The storms give God the opportunity to display his unstoppable power. I remember it was about mm, six years ago now. I was sitting in my living room, and my youngest daughter, she came walking into the living room with a look on her face that caused my heart to already start to sink. And while she stood in front of me, she began to let me know how she, had, she was pregnant at 18 years old. And I just, I just remember my heart just kind of sinking on the inside. I, I feel like maybe the disciples in the boat, the boat is my life. My boat was taking on water. I remember questioning God. I remember being angry at God, Right? I remember feeling like, I just want to wake up from this dream. Like, when is this dream going to be over? And when can I just wake up and, you know, just go, whew, wow, that was a horrible dream, right? And just go love my daughter and go, hey, how you doing? But no, this was the reality of life. I remember, I remember just, you know, being challenged, challenged by God to say this, Jeff, just keep rowing, man. Just keep rowing. I'm the one who told you to go to the other side of the lake, right? I'm the one who told you this is your life. Go run after it. I'm not the one who promised you you weren't going to find any storms. So keep rowing. I've called you. Keep following my call. Keep following my call. And I found it difficult to do that. So I have compassion for Peter when Peter's trying to walk on the water and he gets his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink because I desperately want to walk on the water with Jesus. Sometimes the storms of life, they just overtake you. You don't have to beat yourself up for it. But what we do have to do is we've got to come back to God and we have to remember what's his word say. 
And one of the things God had to speak to my very heart was this. I'm big enough for your storm, Jeff Baker. And I'm here to tell you today, God's big enough for your storm. He's big enough for it. And there has to become a breaking inside of us where we go back to that John 16 verse that we just read, where we finally have peace, where we finally take heart in the fact that I have overcome the world. No matter how big the waves are, they seem to be crashing against you. Jesus has actually already overcome that storm. One of the things I know about God is that he has called us to the other side of the lake. And if you've been obedient and you're here in this place and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he's got a destination he's taking you to. Somewhere between here and where we are and there, there's going to be waves that are going to come crashing against us, and you and me are going to have to hang on and realize he's actually already overcome this. We're not dying in the middle of this storm because he's already called us to a place of victory. So for all of us, I think we can learn some things from the disciples, right? We can, we can learn to be like them where we don't give up. It's one of the things I love about this story. It's rarely ever talked about, but here's the disciples, and they haven't given up. They didn't turn the boat around and start heading back. They're, they're in the middle, and they're going, we're going to the other side. And they're rowing, and they're fighting against this headwind, and they're not giving up. And it's one of the things you and me need to learn. We need to learn this. No matter whether our storm is a physical storm, just keep rowing. Don't give up, right? Or it's an emotional storm, just keep rowing. Don't give up, because Jesus is the one who called us to the other side. They were following the voice of the master. So you and me, we can take great heart in the fact that the unstoppable power of God is working for us and not against us. But Jesus, Jesus walking on the water in this one instance, it's less about this one storm, guys, and it's more about his unfailing compassion for the storms that you and me go through. I really think sometimes we get wowed by the one moment of Jesus walking on the water and we forget about the fact that he's got compassion for the storm that we're going through. And when I read the account in Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it told us this, that Jesus, he noticed their struggle. Jesus sends them all away, sends his disciples in the boat, and then he walks up the side of the hill, and somewhere on the side of the hill he's praying, and dark falls, and he keeps praying. And at 3 a.m., somehow, the moon lights, I'm not sure, but somehow Jesus looks down at 3 a.m., and he sees that boat in the middle of that lake. And I've been at that lake, and you can see right across to the other side. And he's looking at this boat in the middle of the lake, and he recognizes that it's his disciples. And the Bible literally says that Jesus noticed their struggle. Take heart today. Jesus notices your struggle. Your storm doesn't go unnoticed by him. Jesus sees it. So there's two two other things that I want you to grab a hold of from this story. I want you to try try to apply to your life. And that's this, that we got to join Jesus in the storm, and we have to invite him into our boat. That's what we have to do. During this life-threatening storm, Peter asked to join Jesus, who is standing, listen, he's standing on top of the storm. So the storm seems too great for the disciples to overcome, but it becomes the pathway for God to display his unstoppable power. That's what your storm is. Your storm might be too hard for you to overcome it. That's okay, because it becomes the pathway that God gets to walk on now to display to you and display to the world how powerful and mighty he is. 
But instead of asking Jesus to calm the storm, I find it interesting that Peter asks, can I join you on the storm? Many times what we want is we want Jesus to calm the storm. And Peter doesn't pray to God, hey, Jesus, if it's you, calm the storm. He says, if it's you, let me walk on top of the storm and let me join you. And then he did something so critical that you and me have got to grab a hold of. Then he waited. He said, if it's really you, Jesus, you call me to come walk on the storm with you. And then he waits. And Jesus says, yeah, come. Many times we tend to pray and then we act. We pray and then we go do something instead of praying and waiting. Instead of praying and waiting for God's voice to speak to us. Isaiah chapter 40 tells us this about waiting. It says, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. All of this is describing renewing their strength. Those who wait on the Lord, they get a chance to renew their strength. So in your storm, wait for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord will never end in destruction, but it will always end in victory for your life. Just remember this, the unstoppable power of God, it should be sought in the middle of your storm, but waited on before you take any action. It should always be sought. Like, God, where are you at? God, I need you right now. Do, do you see the waves? There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But then waiting on God is when you're going to find the renewing of your strength. It's, going to be, it's where you're going to find the, re, the, the strengthening of faith inside of you that, Jesus, you really are unstoppable. Because whether he calms the storm on this earth, whether he does it or he doesn't, you still end in victory. You still get where he called you to go. Sometimes the storms aren't going to all be calmed. And we're going to have to just weather it out. It's okay because moments like that, they build faith in us. I mean, how, how strong do you think Peter's faith was after he asked Jesus, can I get out of the boat and walk to you? And he actually gets out and he walks to him. How strong was his faith after that moment? I, I guarantee you, there was a ratcheting increase of it. He was renewing his strength even as he, as he got out of the boat and he was walking on the water towards Jesus. So guys, just to close today, Jesus, he might take a while to join you in the boat, and he might take a while to calm your storm, but his current absence in the middle of your storm isn't a lack of his power to calm your storm. He's got the power to calm it. He just might not be doing it right now because he's got a bigger agenda at work. And that's where you and me, we've got to come back and we've got to trust him, but we just got to keep rowing, keep rowing, keep rowing. Your storm... It's an opportunity to increase your faith in God. So I would, I would challenge you to seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in it. Your storm is an opportunity for you to wait on the Lord and to renew your strength. And sometimes it's going to take the storm to put us in that powerless place where we finally start praying to God. God, I can't control this. I need you. And if your storm drives you to that kind of a desperateness, then your storm's driving you to a place where you can put faith in an unstoppable God. But guys, let's be careful not to curse God because of our storms. Let's be careful. Be careful not to curse God. I remember when, when I was facing that situation with my daughter, and I found myself blaming, cursing God. I'm just going to tell you right now, 
If you want to get your life separated from God quickly, go, go after God with that attitude. And you're going to find a separation from God that happens so quickly. It's as if you turn your back on God and you sprint away from him with that attitude. But here's the thing. If you've done that, like I did, it's a good day today to humble yourself and just to repent to God. I remember the day that it was in my bedroom. I just was there and I was on my bed and I just said, God, I'm, I've been such a fool. I've been, I've been trying to control this thing and I've been so upset and it's been more about me than, than my own daughter. I haven't even been there for her. I haven't even been there to like minister to her as she's going through like, what, what kind of thoughts are going through her mind? What, what's going through her life? Here I am, I'm selfish, thinking about myself in the middle of a storm in our family and I'm just thinking about me. And I humbled myself that day and I bawled my eyes out because I'm a crier. It's okay, it's Father's Day, I admit it. I'm a crier. And I cried and I just, it wasn't about the cry, it was more about the repentance to God. It was more about God, I, I just gotta trust you right now. God showed up, walking on the storm. And guess what? He didn't take the storm away. <laughs> Daughter's still pregnant, right? He doesn't take the storm away, but he let me get out of, out of my boat, out of my understanding and he let me get onto the water, let me get onto the storm and walk with him. There's something very peaceful, even in the middle of a storm, when you're walking on the storm with Jesus. So today, what storm are you facing? My challenge for you is this. Get out of the boat, grab a hold of Jesus, and start walking on top of it. Because the storm might not go away, but God can really truly, with his unstoppable power, let you have peace in the fact that he has overcome the world. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today, your word continues to remind us of the fact that you notice our struggles. You notice the storms that we're in. Lord, there's many moments when you're waiting for us just to put our complete faith in you and to ask you, help us to Help us to walk on top of this storm. But all too often, all we ever ask of you is just to take the storm away. May you change our prayer today for some. May we change it from just the desperateness of take the storm away, take the pain away, take the struggle away to God, help me to walk on top of it and take heart in it, knowing that you've already overcome this storm. Lord, just in those simple words, may people find peace today. In those simple words, may we just find a loving, compassionate God who notices our struggle and, and has given us a command to walk as aliens and strangers on this world, that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And although we walk through this world, we face many trials and struggles, that we would walk with great peace knowing that you are with us. So Lord, let your church, let your church walk on water today with you. Let us walk on top of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.